I'd like to invite you to open with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15 today. Luke chapter 15 is where we will be in God's Word. Father, we thank you for your Word. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to speculate or philosophize or wonder about who you are. Lord, because you have given us your revelation, you have shown us clearly in your word and in the person and work of your son, Jesus. Lord, help us when we leave here today to see you more clearly, to have a greater revelation of who you are, your love for us, and how we're to live in light of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever lost something? Yes. Of course. Have you ever lost something incredibly valuable? All of us who are, chill, or who are parents can say yes, because undoubtedly at some point in parenting, you will misplace one of those little devils. I mean, one of those little blessings uh, from the Lord. Uh, just last night, we were out to dinner, and um, I was out to dinner with my brother, Mark, and Carrie, and their family, and they've got three little ones, and I've got four little ones, and so it was four adults to seven kids, and for the most part, they were really good, but towards the end of the meal, they started kind of moving around, shifting around, changing places. They would not stay in their seats, tripping onto the table. I don't know how that happens with someone this high, but you know, everything going everywhere, drinks and food and all that kind of stuff. And uh, towards the end, I, I realized that I hadn't seen my third born, Asher, for a few minutes. And all of you parents know that sinking feeling, oh my gosh, I've lost one of my children. Where are they? So you immediately, you know, look at every seat. Is he there? 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 No, 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 no. Where's Asher? That moment of panic, that moment of dread. He's at the age, he's three years old right now, and he's at the age where he loves to just bolt off in any direction just to go do his own thing. So I looked at Heather, I said, where's Asher? And she says, look down. And I looked down, and of, of course, he's just rolling around on the floor under the table. But those of you who've lost something valuable, you know that sinking feeling. Um, shortly before my dad passed away uh, seven years ago, um, he had recently sold something of value. He had recently sold something for about $2,000. Now this, he sold it like two weeks before he passed away. And he never deposited the money. And so a few weeks after, you know, my dad passed away and my mom kind of like, you know, started to think again, she realized, oh my goodness, where is this money? Where is this $2,000 in cash that your dad got from selling this thing? And so she began to look and look and search. And she tore up the house. She tore up his closet. She turned everything over that she could think of, any place that he would put it, and she never found the money. So about two years ago, we sold that house that they lived in together. And so we went through that house with a fine-tooth comb. 
I mean, we're looking behind the refrigerator. I'm looking on top of bookshelves. I'm pulling off the, I'm looking in the toilet tank to see if he had, you know, put it in a Ziploc bag like a drug dealer or something, you know. We went through that house with a fine tooth comb, never found the money. About three weeks ago, I was cleaning out some stuff in my office at the church, which used to be my dad's office, and I was going through some old books and putting them in the Goodwill pile, and I found that stack of cash hidden, smashed in. Seven years later, we finally found the money. So if you've ever lost something of value, you know what that feeling is like. You also know the joy that comes when you found what you've been looking for. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three stories that communicate one truth. It's the truth of God's love for people. And he uses the, the, the story that we're all very familiar with, the, the event of losing something of value. At first, he tells the story of, of a shepherd who, leave, who loses a sheep. Though he has 100 sheep, he leaves 99 sheep in a pen, and he goes out and he searches for that one lost sheep. The next story he tells is about a woman who has 10 very valuable coins, and she loses one of them. And when she loses it, she does not stop looking until she finds it. And the third story that Jesus tells is the story of the prodigal son, the story of a lost son. And this is the one that we're going to focus on this morning from Luke chapter 15. Now, this is maybe one of the most famous of Jesus' parables. A parable is a, a story that Jesus would tell, a short story that contained a spiritual truth. We've been spending some time at Destiny going through the parables of Jesus. Now, the prodigal son, how many of you would say that's your favorite parable that Jesus would tell? Yeah, uh, several of you. It's certainly one of the most famous and well-known ones, but it's also one of the ones that is the most misunderstood. There's actually something happening here that many people don't see or recognize, and maybe you don't misunderstand it, but it isn't fully understood. Today, we're going to get the full interpretation of this very famous parable about something that was lost that is found. So Luke chapter 15, verse 1. I want to start in verse 1 because this sets the stage for the next three stories that Jesus told. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 says this. Now, the tax collectors and sinners we're all drawing near to hear Jesus. The tax collectors and the sinners, they were drawing near to Jesus. The tax collectors and sinners, these would have been the outcasts from society. Nobody likes tax collectors. Not in Jesus' day, not in our day. I try to have as little association with the Internal Revenue Service as I possibly can. Nobody likes tax. If, you're a, if you work for the IRS today, God bless you. We're glad that you're here today. But in Jesus' day, it was even worse 
because there was an oppressive regime and government, an occupying government named, called Rome, who was there. And tax collectors were not Romans. Tax collectors were local Jewish people that Romans would hire to go around and collect taxes for Caesar. So the, the, the people who were tax collectors, they were viewed as sellouts. That they, 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 they sold out their own people for profit. On top of that, they were, you know, on top of being in league with an op- opposing, occupying, governmental, oppressive, oppressive regime, they would take more money than they were owed. They would steal from the people to enrich themselves, to pad their own pockets. These people were despised. They were the outcasts of society. Yet there's something about Jesus that's drawing them in. Also, this group of people called sinners. These were people who did not keep the moral law. They did not keep the Mosaic law. They did not keep the rules and the regulations of of being righteous in Jesus' day. And it says in verse 2, that when the Pharisees and the scribes saw this, they grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. These Pharisees and scribes were the religious leaders. They were the religious elite. They were the people that kept all the rules and all the laws and all the commandments. And they despised people who did not. Now, what you need to know is that in, in the Old Testament, the law of, that God gave through Moses, there was about 613 commandments. That's quite a bit of commandments to keep. 613 commandments. Jesus boiled it down to making it real simple. He said, look, you need to love God with all your heart, and you need to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you'll do those two things you'll keep all the commandments. Jesus simplified the commandments to two commands, loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. But the Pharisees did not take that approach. They took the opposite approach. Instead of simplifying the law, they made it more and more complicated. And so they were so zealous for not breaking any of God's laws, what they would do is they would put a fence around the law and and add to the law. So for example, one of the laws was remember the Sabbath or to keep the Sabbath day holy, that you can work for six days a week, but on the seventh day, you're not supposed to work. You're supposed to use it as a day of rest, a day of worship to the Lord. That was one of the commandments. The Pharisees came along and they added to that one commandment 39 more rules about what it means to keep the Sabbath, about what it means to work. And so, for example, they had the exact number of steps that you could take on a Sabbath day before it turned from just a walk into work. Yeah, the, according to the Pharisees, you could not write more than two letters of the alphabet before it became work. You could also not erase more than two letters of the alphabet before it became work. 
according to the Pharisees, you could not tie a knot. That was work. So you had to wear slip-on shoes, apparently, on the Sabbath day if you were a Pharisee. They added to the, the law all of these rules, all of these regulations, all of these things that were not from God. God simply said he wanted to bless people by giving them a day off from work. The Pharisees added all of their rules to it, and they took the blessing from God and turned it into a burden for people. That's what religion, apart from God, does. And so the Pharisees and the scribes, they were so good at keeping all the rules. And anybody who didn't fit into their mold of all the rule-keeping, they despised, they looked down upon, they called them sinners. They may have loved God. They may have been people who cared deeply about the Lord and their relationship with God. And the Pharisees said, no, because you tie your shoes on Saturday, God doesn't love you, and you're not welcome here in our community. Now, we know that the Pharisees did not love God, that this was not anything that they had in their heart towards God. We see it very clearly because the Pharisees are the ones who put God on a cross and said, we don't want anything to do with you. The Pharisees were not zealous for serving God. They were zealous for something else, their own positions of prominence. They were very interested in using God's law to further their agenda and position in front of people because they were very good at keeping their own rules that they had made. And so Jesus is gathering the outcasts. Jesus is gathering those who, who have been shunned, who have been kicked out of the religious community, who have been told you have no place with God. And here comes Jesus, God in the flesh. And he begins to speak about the kingdom of God. He begins to speak about love. And there's something about Jesus that draws the tax collector, the sinner, the despised, the outcast. There's something about him that they are drawing near to hear from him. Do you know what it is? He loves them. He loves them. He loves people. This is why Jesus came. It's why he lived. It's why he died. It's why he rose again. He said he came to seek and to save the lost. He loves you today. So on the backdrop of these grumbling Pharisees who want to insult, they're trying to, to, to put a, a black mark on Jesus' reputation by saying, he's not, a good, he's not a good rabbi, he's not a good teacher. Look at the crowd he hangs out with. Jesus tells these three parables. We're going to focus in on the third one in verse 11. Jesus says, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Now, in the day and age in which Jesus lived, it, it was a very, very much a patriarchal society, very much a society where children must show honor and respect to their parents. What this younger son is saying to his father is unheard of. The, the father would have split his, 
his estate and given it to his two sons after he died. But it would never happen beforehand, ever. Now, the way it was in Jesus' day was the older son got a double portion, and then the younger son got a single portion. So in this case where there's two sons, the oldest son would have gotten two-thirds of the estate, and the younger son would have gotten a third of the estate. That's called the, the uh, double portion or the birthright. Now, that's not practiced anymore in our culture. I think it still should be as the oldest son. <laughs> Nevertheless, my brothers disagree with me, and they outvote me in that. But anyway, so he comes to his father, and what he's essentially saying to his dad is, Dad, you are dead to me. Give me your stuff because I don't want to have any kind of relationship with you. This is unheard of in their day. It's even unheard of in our day. But the amazing thing, the shocking thing, even more shocking than what this son says to his dad that you're dead to me, is that the dad complies. The father does it. The father divides his property between them. Now, in, in that day and age, the, 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 the property, the value, the, the value of the estate would have been wrapped up in the land that they owned. For the dad to go about getting rid of, liquidating one-third of everything he has, it would have been very costly, very time-intensive, a lot of work. Yet his dad says, okay, son, here you go. I will give you your portion. Goes through all of the work of selling the land, selling the cattle, selling the, the herds, so that one-third of his estate is given to his younger son. Verse 13 says that not many days later, the young son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. So he goes to his father. He says, Dad, you're dead to me. I have no desire to be your son. I have no desire to be in relationship with you. I have no desire to be a part of this family or to carry on the family name. I have no desire to take care of the family land or the family business. I have no desire to have a relationship with you. Just give me what is coming to me and I will go and you never have to hear from me again. It is a total rejection of the father, of the family, of who this person came from, where he came from, and his, his whole identity. And he says, I'm going to go and I'm going to find myself. I'm going to find who I am. I'm going to live my life my way. I'm not going to live under my father's roof, under his rule. I'm not going to keep his way of living. I'm going to live for myself and who I want to be. And so he goes and he spends it all. He wastes it all. He wastes it in wild living, in reckless living. He, he, he's living his life like it's, he's, you know, he's a college kid in Miami on spring break. I mean, this is his life. This is his life. Drugs, 
alcohol, prostitution, everything his father had worked for. Not only his father, but as, as the inheritance had been handed down from generation to generation to generation, everything his family had worked for, he goes and wastes it, spends it on sin, selfishness, debauchery. And it says that he spent all of it. In verse 14, it says, when he had spent everything, a famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Listen, you need to know that sin can be fun for a moment, that there is a momentary pleasure attached with sin. I'm not here to deny that. But what I am here to tell you is that it always runs out. That the joys and the pleasures of sin, they run out and they leave a trail of death and destruction in their wake. And so when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. He was so destitute that it says that he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. Now, if you know anything about Jewish people or a young Jewish boy, the last thing they would ever be doing is feeding pigs, being around pigs. Pork is not kosher. It is that when, when, when the Jewish ear would have heard Jesus telling this story from the son who rejected his father, from the father who liquidated his estate, from the son who spent it all in reckless living and, and prostitutes and sin, and then they would have heard that now he's feeding pigs. They would have said, okay, Jesus, you've just gone too far. This is, he could not get any Lower. This is absolutely, completely rock bottom. How many of you have ever hit the bottom? This is where this young man finds himself. So he's feeding pigs in the field, and he's so destitute that it says he was longing to be fed with the food that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Anything. He's serving slop to the pigs, and he's sitting there thinking, that looks pretty good. Oh, hey, old Betsy, when you're done with that, could I nibble a little bit on that piece of corn on the cob you got left? It is so disgusting. And this is where sin leaves you. This is where sin will take you. This is the ultimate end of sin. It's death and destruction. But how many of you are glad that this is not the end of the story? Amen. In verse 17, it says that he came to himself. He came to his senses. He, he looked around and said, what am I doing in this pigsty, living like an animal? I'm not an animal. I'm not a pig. I've got a father who cares for me. I'm a son. And so he goes. It says, he came to himself and he said, 
How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. In that day and age, there would have been servants who lived in the home and took care of the home. And there would have been hired servants who worked outside and lived outside the home and who would come in for work. And so he is saying, look, dad, if you'll take me back, I don't have to be a servant in your home. I'll work for one of your contractors. You never have to see me. I'll work as one of your servants, one of your hired hands. I'm sorry for what I've done. I know that I've offended you. I know that I've sinned against you. But if you'll just take me back into, you don't have to bring me into the house. Just let me work for you. Maybe one day, if I worked all of my life, I might be able to repay you for the the shame I've caused our family and for what I've taken from you. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Verse 20 says, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. So he sees his son returning home. The father looks up and sees across the field this shadowy, broken, weak, skinny, frail figure. And he says, that's my son. That's my son. And it says that the father felt compassion. And the father ran and embraced him and kissed him. He overwhelms the son. This is not the result that the son was expecting. The son was expecting the father to be angry, to to be disappointed, to to be um, distraught over the fact that he had lost the estate. And so the son, you know, he's been rehearsing this speech and he tries to get it out. He says, the son says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and on earth and before you. And the dad's picking him up. The dad's embracing him, squeezing him, kissing him, weeping on his shoulder. He says, I'm no longer to be worthy to be called his son. The dad doesn't even listen to him. The dad cuts him off and says to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And bring a ring that represents the family seal and put it on his hand. And bring shoes and put it on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And this is the story of anyone who has ever run from God. Anyone who has ever gone your own way and found yourself in sin. I want you to know your father loves you today. Your father is not ashamed to call you his son or his daughter. You might have wasted your whole life. If you will return to the father, he will embrace you. He will, he will wipe away your record of sin and shame. He will take off your filthy rags and he will clothe you in the righteousness of his son, Jesus. 
He will take off what is broken and he will, will restore it for what is new. And he brings the son into his house and he throws a great feast. And the Bible tells us that when any sinner repents, that heaven throws a party, that heaven celebrates. Amen. That God loves you today. No matter how far that you've run, no matter the things that you've done, you see, the enemy, Satan, the enemy of our soul, he is out to steal, steal, kill, and destroy, the Bible says. But Jesus came that we would have life and life abundantly. And Satan will condemn you. He will say, God does not love you. You've broken too many laws, too many rules. He could never forgive your record of sin and shame. And when we come to the Father, he doesn't even want to hear it. He just wants to wrap his arms around us in love and strike up the band in heaven and to celebrate that a lost son or daughter has returned home. Can we give the Lord praise? Amen. So you need to know that no matter what you have done, no matter what sin you have committed, no matter who it is that you've sinned against, there is a Father in heaven who is looking for you, who is peering out saying, when will my son return home? When will my son or daughter come to me so that I can heal him and restore him and put him in a place of honor and not call him a servant, but call him a son or a daughter? If you've given your life to Jesus, if you've put your faith in him, I want you to know you are not only God's servant, you are his son or his daughter. Amen. If you have an identity in Christ, and what the world, Satan, what he does is he tries to get people to live like animals. And people, it's time to come to ourselves and say, I'm not an animal. I'm a, I'm a child of God. I'm an image bearer of the king of kings. I have, I have dignity, value, and worth bestowed upon me by my creator. I'm going to return home to my father. And this is the kind of welcome that we can expect. Now, there's another son in this story. Remember, this is the story of two sons. And this is where most people stop, is with the story of the first son. But remember, there are two sons. Verse 25 says, now the older son was in the field. He was out working for his father. As he came home and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So as he begins to approach home, there's this party going on. They hired music to come in. They called the DJ, right? Get so-and-so here. Set up the lights. Put out the buffet. Let's go. Let's have a party. Right, he comes home and it's there's laser beams going, and you know it's all in a minor key because it's Jewish. You know, shofar. Like, what is going on at the house? So he calls somebody up to him and he says, "What's happening? What's going on at the house? What do these things mean?" And one of the servants came to him and said to him, "Your brother has come home." Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And what do you think the brother does? Oh, how wonderful. Oh, I know my brother broke my father's heart when he left. I know this has made my dad so happy. No, 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 no. 
But he was angry, full of anger and rage and ticked off. And he refused to go in to the father's house. There is a feast happening of the father's love on display. And the older brother stays outside in the cold and in the shadows and says, I will not go in to my father's house. So what does the father do? He pursues his other son. Just as he ran after the son that had run away, he now goes and pursues the older son. And he says, he entreats him. He says, come on inside. Come and celebrate with us. This is awesome what's happened. But he answered his father, look. He doesn't say father. He doesn't address him as dearest dad. He just says, look, you. Listen to me, you. These many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, doesn't even call him his brother, when this son of yours who has devoured your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. There's an exclamation point in my Bible, so. Can you, can you feel the anger? Can you feel the rage? And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to, fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. There's two brothers in this story. Both of them are alienated from the love of their father. It's real easy for us to see the folly and the sin of the younger brother. He went out and spent everything he had on prostitutes. It's very public. It's very visible. But there's also a sin in the older brother that's lurking in his heart that prevents him from going in to the father's house. You see, both sons were not interested in a relationship with the father. Both sons were only interested in what they could get from the father. Why is the older son so upset that the father has thrown a party and that the father has, has spent this extravagant expense on the younger son? It's because he believes, the, younger son, the older son believes, that everything that belongs to the father should belong to him. That, that the father is spending the older son's inheritance on this party. He's saying, you, you didn't consult me, dad, with how to spend my money. Dad, I've worked for this. I've earned your blessing. Everything that's coming to me, I deserve. You didn't consult with me about this. And there's, there's two types of people in the world. There are those who go their own way, follow their own path, who have no regard for God's rules or God's laws. 
And there are other people who will use God's ways and use God's laws to get what they want. To get a blessing, to get God's favor, to earn a good life. And neither one of these types of people are interested in having a relationship with the Father. They're only interested in what they think the Father can give them. Neither one of them loves their father, and they both go about it the way that they think is best. And these are the two types of people in the world, the free-spirited, wild, artsy people that just go out and live life crazy, flaunt convention, they don't care for rules or religion. And then there are people who will use rules and religion to try and somehow put God in their debt that God now is beholden to them and he has to bless them. Now, God used this parable in my life about eight years ago. He, he showed me that I was the older brother in this story, that I had lived my life not out in the world. I never drank. I never partied. I, I never was promiscuous. I... I I, I never did those things. I never, you know, had a testimony. You know, that, that wasn't me. My testimony was I grew up in church and went to youth group. I was here every Sunday. I was here every Sunday night. I was here every Wednesday night. And I thought I had earned God's favor. And just like the Pharisees in this story, and just like the older brother, I looked down on people who I thought were sinners because this religious spirit of legalism, keeping the rules, trying to put God in your debt by being a good person, it's so easy to do in church. Church is a place where older brothers hide out and they can go undetected because they're really good at keeping all the rules. But at the end of the day, what was I really about? Was I really about just having a relationship with God and loving him? Or was I really about him having to bless me because I've been so good and kept all the rules? Listen, God's not beholden to bless anyone. God can do whatever he wants with whatever he's got. If he wants to throw a party for a younger brother who's come home, that's up to him. If he wants to bless an older brother who's just living in legalism, that's up to him. Listen, God's plan is for everyone to come and to have a relationship with him. It's not about rule keeping and earning God's favor and earning God's blessing. There aren't enough rules that we could keep if only there was one rule, we would break it. It can't be by rule keeping. It's only by the grace of the almighty God that any of us can have a relationship with God. And the, the, the amazing thing about where this story ends is that there's one son inside enjoying the father's love and there's one son left out in the cold. There's one son that refuses to repent, that refuses to humble himself and come to the Father. There's one son that will. And so I don't know which camp you fall into, the one that's 
got a testimony a mile long or the one who is more legalistic and, and you think that you can earn God's favor or somehow put God in your debt by coming to church every Sunday and keeping all the rules. Listen, it's not that either. It's only the grace of God. And God loves both kinds of sons. God loves and wants to have a relationship with all of his children. But the same way that the older son, uh, the same way the younger son came back in repentance is the same way us older sons have to come and say, God, I know it's not my rule keeping. Lord, I repent of my legalism. I repent of my looking down on others. Lord, help me to, to walk out and live a life of grace. This was my story eight years ago when God showed me I'm the older brother. God just totally broke that in my life, broke that spirit off of me. I thank God for it. I realize now that God doesn't owe me nothing. He's already given me everything. I'm his son. What more could I want? And that was his plea to the older son. Son, you're my, you're my son. Everything I have is yours. What do you mean you're out there trying to earn my favor, trying to earn your keeping, trying to, what, you're my son, you're my daughter. Listen, you need to know whether you're out in the cold as a rule-keeping legalist or you're out in the world living like a, the devil, that if you are a human being today, there is a place for you in the house of God. There is a place for you in the house of God. And Destiny Church will not be a church full of older brothers. That is not the church that we're going to have. Amen. We're going to have a church that is full of blood-bought, redeemed people who yet for the grace of God, there go I, that we all come broken. We all come uh, humiliated. We all come tainted because of sin whether it's an outward sin that's so obvious or an inward sin of pride in the heart, we all need the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. It's only Jesus, it's only through what he has done that our sins can be forgiven and that our relationship with God can be restored. And so I'm gonna invite you to stand now and we're going to take communion together we're going to remember the death of Jesus Christ, his shed blood on the cross, the thing that makes it possible for us to have right relationship with the Father. If you're here today and you say, I'm not a Christian, I'm not serving the Lord, maybe you're, on, maybe you're the older son or the younger son, either way, before you come today, you need to give your life to Jesus. This is for Christians today. What we're doing is for those who have put their faith in Jesus. And if you're here today and you haven't yet do that, do that today. Put your faith in Jesus. Call out to him and he will save you. You can do that right where you're at, right in your seat. You don't have to say a special prayer. You don't have to walk the aisle. Sometimes we do that, but you don't have to do that. You can call out to Jesus right now in faith. And he will save you. He will forgive you. The Father will welcome you into his family. 
as we come today, what we're remembering is the shed blood of Jesus on the cross for our sin, his broken body that is for our redemption. This is for Christians today. This is for believers today. This is one of the ways that we say we're a part of God's family today. Just as there was a feast for the son who returned home, this is a feast for us to come together, a meal we share, a breaking of bread together. And I'm so grateful to God that in this church, there are younger brothers and older brothers that share the banquet table together. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your work on the cross for us. We thank you that you invite us into your family. Lord, through this time of communion, I pray that you would draw us even closer into your love. In Jesus' name, amen.